I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I just want to use your love tonight. And welcome to another episode of the Lookout Landing Podcast, Prospect Edition, They Might Be Mariners. I'm your host, Kate Prusser. I'm the managing editor of Lookout Landing. And joining me today is Joe Doyle, our prospects expert. Joe? Hanging in there. How's everyone doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're excited because, Joe, you have acquired us a very special guest today, high profile from the pages of MLB.com. Very excited. Jim Callis. Jim, how are you today? I'm doing good. I hope you guys are uh, are safe and sound. And uh, I am here in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. And uh, just I've got the draft on my mind a lot recently because we've been we just did another draft list, although I obviously can't tell you how many rounds or when the draft will be exactly yet. Uh, it, it, it's still been on my mind a lot. Right. We are. It's wild to me that uh, we are like, ooh. Okay, what's the draft going to look like? Well, okay, it's going to be 10 rounds, and that was a blow. And then hearing, no, it might actually be five rounds is just mind-boggling. I mean, I do maybe half my time in looking into the draft and prospects and that side of things. I can't imagine when you... My preparation started in, like, uh, November, so you've been preparing for this draft for years. What, What a blow is that to you, I would imagine. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not so much worried about myself. And it, the, the weird thing is we've kind of, <clears throat> in terms of doing our list and evaluating prospects, I think we're kind of similar to what teams have faced where you know, obviously there's fewer looks at them this spring, but you kind of go about your business the way you usually would as best you can. And I mean, fortunately for us, it's not so much going to games because there's so many players, we can't possibly see them all and get multiple looks, but it's talking to a lot of scouts on the phone. So from a draft standpoint, I mean, I've spent, you know, right before our list came out. And the other weird thing is, like, I, today's Thursday. It's like I can't keep track of days anymore. It's very odd. But uh, our draft list went live Tuesday night, and I'd spent probably the previous two and a half, three weeks just on the phone pretty, you know, as much as I could with scouts. So, so that part was kind of the same. But it's, like I said, I mean, I don't know if we're going to do five rounds, ten rounds, June 10th, July 20th. <laughs> what exactly is going to happen? But we're, at this point, just kind of lining the players up in the order we think they belong and, you know, unlike past years, we won't be shuffling the order. Uh, you know, we, we just released a top 150. We'll, we'll expand it to 200 at MLB.com. But, uh, you know, barring like a serious injury to somebody or something, 
uh, there's no reason, you know, in past years we'd be shuffling around, okay, who's moving up, who's moving down? Well, these 150 guys are kind of locked in. They're, they're not going to be doing anything in all likelihood that, that's going to change anything between now and the draft. You know, you guys have been doing some excellent work over at MLB Pipeline, and if, if you're listening and have not given MLB Pipeline a look, uh, Jim and Jonathan Mayo are posting some of the most comprehensive scouting reports you can find on the top 150 players. You're going to get a full 2080 scale for every tool that the that the prospect possesses, as well as a, a general write-up on uh, what they bring to the table. And if this draft is only five rounds, well, we're only looking at about 150 to 170 players being taken anyway. So you can get a pretty concrete idea of uh, a large chunk of, of who's going to be selected in this year's draft. But Jim, I wanted to, to ask you about this year's draft specifically and how you think it compares to uh, some of the more notable drafts of the of the past, like 2015, 2011. Um, how does it stack up in your eyes? Yeah, I don't, you know, like 2011 is that, you know, and people kind of knew it at the time, the kind of that once in a decade type of draft, you know, just like 2005 was previously where, you know, everybody's raving about the quality. And, and while I, I'd say 2000, I guess it's a new decade. So 2020 theoretically could be the draft of the decade, but uh, um, 2020 draft's not as deep as 2011, or as you know, st as studied at the top. But it's a it's a really good draft. I mean, I, I know every year, and I think it's just the nature of people remembering back in the 80s when you know guys would not necessarily sign out of high school, and the college crops were deeper, and the drafts just seemed like they were deep every year. The, the most of the time when I talk to scouts in the off season is we do our first list in the winter. It's a lot of, oh, the draft's lacking in this or that, and it's just kind of mediocre. And I always have to tell myself, you can't write that every year, that the draft's mediocre. I think mediocre is kind of a standard draft, and mediocre isn't really even really fair, but teams do such a good job of signing players out of high school that the college crops aren't usually super deep. And this draft looks so much better compared to last year's draft, because last year, if you talk to scouts, they would tell you, and I've been doing this for 30 years, and I thought the same thing. It was the worst group of college pitchers who belonged in the first round I could ever remember. It was bad. And this year, they're not all going to go in the first round, but there's, you know, if you were to take the top college pitchers from last year and the top college pitchers from this year and put them on one list, let's say you did a top 25, 18 or 20 of them would probably be from this year. It's really deep. It's just, I don't know if it's cyclical, but as bad as last year was, that's how strong this year is. And while last year was kind of, uh, hold on, I got my, I didn't turn my phone off there. Well, I'll silence that. Um, while, uh, fantastic, fantastic ringtone. Thank you, thank you. Um, I like uh, it. I like it. <laughs> so I was gonna say last, so last year, you know, the focus was on all the really good position players at the top of the draft and how it was an unusually deep college position player crop because most of the best college position player. I mean, most of the best high school players sign, like I just said, so they don't always get to college. Well, this year, you, you have some really strong, strong college position players, too. And, you know, the top of the draft, the top two picks are probably going to be Spencer Torkelson out of Arizona State and then Austin Martin out of Vanderbilt. So you, the college crop is really strong. And while the high school crop isn't necessarily as strong, I think there's some good high school pitching, there's some good high school hitting. So I think it's a long way of saying I think it's going to be a really good draft. Uh, how do you feel the prep we know that the college side is much stronger than it has been in the past, definitely compared to last year, but probably in the last few years. How do you feel the prep compare the prep side compares to previous years, especially? I, I think it's about yeah. I was gonna say I think it's about average. Um, you know, I don't think it's um, you know, like a year we're going like oh, you know, there's unbelievable crop of high school hitters or high school pitchers, you know, compared to normal. But I do think it's 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 kind of an average year in those cases. I mean, there, there's there's a pretty good trio of high school pitchers, you know, that that if teams weren't afraid of high school pitchers would go in the top half of the first round somewhere. Uh, you know, and, and Jerry Kelly and Mick Abel and, and Nick Bitsko. And there's there's some you know pretty you know I I don't think there's college or high school position players you go oh can't miss you know this is a can't miss five tool guy. But there's a, there's a really good group of high school players starting with Zach Veen who's a Florida high school outfielder. So. Um, I feel like it's, I, I guess if, if we're putting the 20 to 80 scale on, um, uh, you know, on just this crop, I, I'd say the college side might be a 55 or 60 compared to normal year. Mm -hmm. um, and the high school side's a, a 50. You know, it, it's average. It just doesn't stand out as much because I think the college crop is strong. Okay. It feels like an especially rough year to lose out because this draft is more 
deep, I think, than it is um, with the, like you said, the star players stacked at the top. So it feels like an especially rough year to have it kind of cut off at the knees. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it is, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, with the high school guys in particular, either they didn't like, you know, I would assume there wasn't much high school baseball up in, in Washington and there wasn't much here in Illinois, but, but these guys did get seen last summer at showcases and events like that. I mean, in some areas of the country, you got a couple games in or there were scrimmages. So I feel like teams, even though they wanted more looks at high school guys for, for a lot of the high school guys, especially with position players, I think they, I think they're still going to be fine. I think we'll still see those guys get picked and signed. Well, you know, what this really hurts, I think too, if you have a five round draft, is you know the the classic you know projectable high school pitcher mm-hmm. who's you know maybe like six three one eighty and you're hoping to see him get stronger and show you more stuff as a senior and you just didn't get the opportunity with those guys I I think those guys are are going to bear the brunt because it's it's always hard even in a normal draft I mean like when we set, we line up our list we do it based on ability we don't care about signability but for pro teams with high school pitchers there's often this gap between how you know how much you would value their present stuff and how much you would value what you project that stuff could be and and teams will will try to kind of find the sweet spot in between but in a lot of cases like okay the guy hasn't really you know come into his own yet you know is he going to sign for five hundred thousand dollars or is he going to go to college and if he becomes a first round pick he gets you know many more times that you know like like case in point i mean the first Two pitchers who are probably going to get drafted this year are Asa Lacey at Texas A&M and Emerson Hancock at Georgia. And I think you probably could have signed them for a million dollars out of high school, um, but they weren't quite there yet. Hey, Hancock was probably a tougher sign at Georgia, but Asa Lacey might sign for a million dollars. Now those guys are probably going to get you know four or five, you know maybe six times that coming out of out of college and it's just you know that gap sometimes is, is, is very tough to bridge especially if the player's willing to bet on himself you know you mentioned that uh the high school crop is probably going to bear the brunt of this some of those guys that aren't the premier talents that are going to go in the first round might have signability concerns um on the other side of that it almost seems like the senior college players which is kind of a weird extraordinarily talented class if you want to call it that with guys like Landon Knack and John McMillan guys that have actual legitimate cases as top five round picks um, it seems like they might actually benefit from this a little bit because bonus pools are smaller and you know they're going to be a necessary a necessary sign for some of these teams that if they want to reach and spend a lot of their bonus pool in the first round they're going to have to find ways to cut costs later in the draft is that something that you're getting a sense from? Um, somewhat. I mean, the hard part is like, we don't know if it's a five round or 10 round draft. I, I do feel like for the most part, whether it's five rounds or 10 rounds in either scenario, I think the draft will somewhat resemble what last year's 40 round draft was like in those rounds. You know, if we have a 10 round draft, I, I do think we'll see kind of business as usual and your, your kind of garden variety college seniors getting $5,000 in eighth round so they can shift bonus pool money around. If it's only a five-round draft, I don't think we're going to see many seniors drafted at all. I think you're going to see college juniors squeezed, not like the $5,000, but if, if the way they've changed the rules this year is if you are an undrafted player, you cannot receive more than $20,000. In, in, in past years, it's been $125,000, and if the team had room in their bonus pool, they could give you more money on top of that. This year, it's twenty, no matter how much money you have in the bonus pool. So, um, you know, I think you could have some college juniors leveled or leveraged in the fourth or fifth round if, hey, you know, if you don't take, you know, $75,000, you might get twenty. You know, I, I think you're going to see some of those scenarios. Um, you know, McMillan's an interesting case. It's... He's been around for a while. His velocity fluctuates so much at Texas Tech. I, I don't think he's necessarily going to get taken if there's a five-round draft. I, I just – I don't think I, – I think there'll be other ways to save money. Landon Knack is a really interesting one because he's not just a senior. He's a fifth-year senior who, who came out this year. He's always been a strike thrower, never been drafted. He's been eligible five years in a row. This is his fifth year in a row after high school and junior college and a junior last year. Never got drafted. Was always a guy who threw a lot of strikes with kind of fringy stuff. And this year, the stuff took a huge leap. You know, 93, 95 mile an hour fastball, touching 98. His secondary pitches are better. And he had a 51 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio in 25 innings. He'll be 23 in July. He's super old because he's a fifth year senior. You know, he's probably the best fifth year senior pro- prospect since David Fries back in, I think it was 2006. 
Um, because obviously most of the time, if you're a good prospect, you're going to sign before you're a fifth year senior. Um, I do think he's really interesting because I think if he were, and he's, he's not, but if he were say a college junior was 21 and was showing this kind of stuff, you'd say he's a first round pick. So he, he's showing you first round stuff albeit only for four starts and you can see how it's going to hold up over the spring and this is a guy who has no leverage so yeah you could probably i think he's going to be interested like i think he could go you know, maybe even the second round maybe more likely the third um and you sign him for more money than he would have thought he would have ever gotten coming into the year but at a significant discount to, to maybe help you pay a high school player in a different round sure so we've talked about uh some of the upper echelon guys, the Emerson Hancocks, the Asa Lacy's, the Spencer Torkelson's, and we've talked about some of these uh, fifth-year seniors. We've talked about some of the upper-tier prepsters. But, you know, a, a question I'd like to pose to you is if, if there's a guy in the first round, maybe outside of that top 10 uh, or even second round, uh, that is kind of your guy in this draft, someone that you are incredibly fond of that maybe the industry is a shade lower on, um, let's see, outside the first round, I'm just looking at our list. Okay, outside the first round, I know who it would be. If we're talking about guys who would fit in the second round for me, it would be Tanner Witt in Texas. Now, he, he may not even get drafted in, 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 when we see what happens because I don't think he's going to be real signable away from Texas. But he, he's the son of a former big leaguer, Kevin Witt. Um, you know, he, he's actually got some power hitting ability as, as a third baseman, but, but I like him as a pitcher. That's what he'd get drafted at. He's six six two hundred, So he's that, he's that really projectable kid, uh, that I was talking about. And, and you know, again, you know, not always showing you the stuff that's going to make you go nuts on him in the draft, but you know, most of the time he'd be 88 to 92 with solid spin rates and some riding life. He's got good spin rates on his curve. Um, he can show the manipulate, you know, the the field to manipulate into a slider. He's got some feel for a changeup, so he's got some feel. He's got the makings of stuff. And in his last start before everything got shut down, he was 92, 95 with more power to the curve. He kind of showed you glimpses of what could be there. So, it, it, in a way, it's kind of this is kind of like a a cheating answer to your question because we don't have to pay these guys. We're just lining them up. No, I mean, seriously, on how good we think they are. We're not factoring. If you, if you factor signability in, like, we've got him as 53rd best player in the country, and, like, the 53rd, like, that, that bonus slot might not be enough to get it done, in which case, if you were a team, you'd say, well, we can't take him, and you'd, you'd kind of take him off the list and move him aside. But for us... We only have to worry about the ability. So he's, he's the guy I really like outside the first round that I think could be uh, be pretty good. My, my, my guess is three years from now, I, I my, my, my best guess is he winds up at Texas and three years from now, we could be talking about him as a first round pick. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to see that a lot with guys like uh, guys like Witt and Drew Bowser and Colt Keith. Just, you know, in, in any other year, uh, they might be viable options, well, but it's, I, it's going to be tough to sign them. Well, I, I will say this though, I, I do think, like I said, if we have a, even if we have a five-round draft where the bonus pools will be about a million dollars less than it would be in a ten-round draft, I, I still think we're going to see guys paid, high school guys paid. Like they may have to take a little less money. You know, your your, your guy who got two million dollars in the third round last year might have to get a million and a half this year, but I still think, if I remember the numbers correctly off the top of my head, there was something like forty. High school players who got $600,000 or more in the top five rounds last year. And I would expect in a five-round draft, it would probably be the same. And I think if, if on the position players, like I don't think ba- Bowser had a great spring. But like if you're a team that, that, that say, likes Drew Bowser or you like Cole Keith, you know, the two guys you mentioned, those are position players. You kind of had a pretty good feel for them. You weren't trying to project velocity gains and, and you know, what, what, how much weight they might put on and how much better their stuff might get like you would with a pitcher like Witt. And so if, if you liked – say Drew Bowser is a second round pick, I think you probably still like Drew Bowser as a second round pick and you might find a way to make that happen. So I, I well, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's more of those projectable pitchers you were hoping were going to take a step forward that didn't get a chance to. Those are going to be the guys it's hard to pay. With such a slimmer margin for error with only so many bites at the apple this year, do you think that that might increase the uh, sort of the rich get richer with the teams who are ahead in their scouting or maybe have some more advanced analytics that they're applying will will this make the teams that are just maybe coming around to that fall behind the curve a little i don't necessarily think so because 
one, I think their teams are doing a lot of that. But two, I think the teams that are heavy on analytics might be at a slight disadvantage this year because there's Ooh. less, you know, like like you're not pulling as much TrackMan data. You know, you I, like I don't think you're getting much TrackMan and Rapsodo data and that type of stuff. You know, the, the analytical data from high school games. You know, during the spring, like you get a lot of that at high school showcases. But a lot of college teams are, are measuring that stuff. And whereas you'd have you know, a 14-week regular season and then conference tournaments and the NCAA postseason to get that data in a normal year. Now you had four weeks of the college season to get it. So, you know, like we were talking about Landon Knack, and I don't – I'm not going to claim I know where he pitched his four games off the top of my head, but it's possible that Landon Knack, you know, didn't pitch anywhere that has TrackMan this spring. Wow. So you don't really have a real – idea of exactly how you know how that stuff plays like they, they, i mean now they may I, I think east tennessee state had some rapsodo data they were sharing with teams but but anyway those, those clubs that covet that data um I, I just you know they're gonna have to have less of it this year um and and i do think you know it's interesting i do think talking to teams you know aside from not getting more looks i think teams feel like they're in better shape than probably the public feels they're in because again, they, they see a lot of these high school guys in showcases and the college guys in summer leagues, you know, the best playing the best the previous year. And yeah, I mean, there'll be guys who would have emerged who didn't get the chance, but they have a lot of information on these guys. The, the, the real interesting thing is going to be, I think next year, if <laughs> like, we don't know what, you know, when things are going to get back to normal, but like, I can't imagine that we're going to have college summer leagues, especially with players not having played for three months or high school oh. showcases really this summer. Uh, you know, maybe you'll have the World Wood Bat Association World Championship in Jupiter in October, maybe. But, I mean, they're not going to have those looks for next year's players. So you, you could wind up going into next spring, you know, having, you know, with, with the history you have on guys is basically, you know, four games of, or four weeks of, of college games this year for the college guys and, and really not much showcase stuff at all for the high school guys. So it's, I, I think this year will be somewhat business as usual, but it could be really next year where, I mean, you just may not have much on guys before the spring um, in, in 2021. That's a really interesting thought because we see sort of the surface. It's like the iceberg principle, right? We see what's on the surface, but teams have been scouting these guys, college guys, they've been scouting since they were high schoolers. Some of right. them, you know, they know since their age has barely passed into the double digits. So we are losing a big chunk of development time there. That's that's maybe going to have a ripple effect down the down the line. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of these guys, I mean, will make, like, for instance, I think, you know, he still would have gone good, but, like, the guy who we have ranked as the number five prospect in the country is, is a shortstop second baseman from New Mexico State named Nick Gonzalez, who put up great numbers last year and could really hit. But, like, you know, the altitude and the competition in New Mexico State, mm-hmm. it, like, it's very hitter-friendly. And so, you know, if he had no summer ball, there would be some skepticism about him. But instead, <laughs> he had summer ball, and he went to the Cape Cod League, which is the best summer league. And he was the MVP, and he had an unbelievable summer using wood bats against, you know, the best competition in college baseball. And that sold him as... You know, not just, hey, could this guy maybe go in the first round to like this guy's going to go in the top, you know, five or six picks probably, Um, you know, and, and, you know, whoever, you know, his counterpart would be this year, you know, isn't going to have that chance probably because I'm skeptical that you're going to have a a Cape Cod League season or, or any of these summer leagues play. Yeah, it's definitely going to hurt some of those guys that that burst onto the scene in the in the wood bat circuit. Um so I, I want to jump into the Mariners farm system in just a minute here, but to kind of conclude this MLB draft portion of the of the chat, the sixth pick is going to be a very, very interesting one. A lot of people are projecting that the top five picks are as set in stone as one might infer they would be at this time. Um, so when you look past the top five, which is Gonzalez, Lacey, Hancock, Torkelson, and Martin, uh, the Mariners will will go on the clock at number six. If you're Jerry Depoto, and you've got the upside of Zach Veen, the safety of Reed Detmers, or you know, the, kind of the whole package in Garrett Mitchell, Jim, if we were to put you on the clock, what direction would you go? Yeah, and I'd say the other name I would throw in there would be the the guy we have next on our list too, Max Meyer out of Minnesota. Those those would probably be the guys. You know, again, this is easy for me to say because I don't have to pay him. And, I, and I'm not just saying this because it's the order we have in the list. 
you know, Garrett Mitchell's a really interesting guy. Um, I think he's got, you know, there are reasons we have Torkelson and Martin and Gonzalez ranked among above him among the college hitters, but he's got the best all-around package of tools of any of them. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, could be a plus hitter, could have at least average power, you know, well above average runner, you know, you know, at least a plus arm. No reason he can't be a plus defender in center field. You know, the, the issue, and, and, and I'll admit, I don't know, like, because we don't have a medical staff and we don't vet this stuff. You know, he, he's got diabetes, and that could affect his status a little bit, although it hasn't stopped him from being one of the best college performers, you know, last year and again this year. Um, so, like, if, unless I, you know, had some reason to know that, okay, you know, the, the type 1 diabetes is going to be a long-term concern. And, and, and he's, you know, was diagnosed with it in third grade. So he's dealt with it for a while. It's not like it just kind of got sprung on him and he's trying to figure out how to deal with it. To me, I, I would take Garrett Mitchell. Um, I, I think you can make a case if, if you're sold that he's going to be a good center fielder. And Nick Gonzalez is probably a second baseman. I, I think you could, I mean, and I agree with you. I do think those top five picks, everybody feels you know, in this great time of uncertainty, are as certain as as we can feel about them, are, are going to go one through five. But I mean, I, I think you could even argue Garrett Mitchell over Nick Gonzalez. And I mean, if you just wanted to keep going, I mean, wow. if you want to talk about the volatility of pitchers, I think you could argue Garrett Mitchell over Asa Lacey or Emerson Hancock. You know, but again, I don't know how the diabetes is going to play into that. But I I, I would say Garrett Mitchell, if say that is a factor, or for some reason the Mariners otherwise aren't on Garrett Mitchell. They haven't taken high school players in the first round, uh, you know, with this regime. I don't think at all, no, right? No, um, no. Uh, no, and so I, I, I would think they would go with one of the pitchers, either Reed Detmers, who probably has the highest floor of any pitcher in this draft, and I think could would be in the big leagues, you know, within a year probably if you wanted him. You know, the stuff's probably more average to solid than oh my god. Or you go with Max Meyer, who's not as big as Reed Detmers, but he's super athletic was spectacular, as was Detmers this spring. And we, I don't know if it's out on our site yet, but I did a story. It should come out. Well, it'll probably be out by the time people listen to this because I wrote this this morning. But, like, Max Meyer might have the best pitch in the draft in his slider. And of the guys on our top 150, and I give credence to starters who do it over relievers who just blow it out for an inning or two, I, I think he's got the best fastball in the draft too. Wow. Um, or at least on our top 150 list. So, you know, there's probably a little bit more risk with him because he's, he's six feet tall. He's right-handed. Detmers is left-handed. But, um, you know, when you talk about, you know, reliever risk, with Max Meyer, it's not <laughs> – A, I think he's athletic enough to start. But, B, you're not talking – it's not reliever risk. It's like closer risk. Like like this guy, if he's not a starter, it's not like, oh, well, you know, we'll have to put him in the seventh inning. No, if, if Max Meyer is not a starter, then he's going to close games for you. So, like, I don't feel like the reliever risk is the same when you just would say that about, you know, normal guy. So, I, I you know, like I said, I, I would take Garrett Mitchell. I, I don't – I'm not educated enough to tell you how teams would be concerned about the diabetes. And if that were an issue, I, I don't see the Mariners taking Veen. I, I would guess Detmers or Max Meyer. So one one follow up, one one quick follow up on Mitchell, really quick, uh, because I know he's been a really popular selection by a lot of mocks uh, to Seattle. The five tool thing is thrown around a lot with Mitchell. I've I've watched a good amount of his tape, and I've talked to a lot of different people that are a little concerned that Mitchell has this propensity to kind of get in his head and tinker with his swing and come in every year looking a little bit different at the plate. Um, but the batting practice power has always shown out. Now, he's only got six home runs in three, I guess a little over two, I should say, uh, collegiate campaigns. Does, does the lack of in-game power scare you at all, or do the other four tools outweigh the risk? You know, I, I, do I think he's going to be a 30-home run guy? No. But I do think, we, we, like you said, we know there's plus raw power in there. And, and I do think, um, you know, the, the guys who are gifted hitters tend to get to a lot of their power. Um, get to a lot of their power. So I, I'm not as worried about it. I mean, I would project him maybe as a 20 home run guy, um, which, you know, with everything else he could do, I think makes him a really good player up the middle. Um at Baseball America, J.J. Cooper said Mitchell is a college prospect who feels like a high-ceiling high school prospect. Is that just because he does have that well-roundedness, the five tools, with, like, maybe some potential in there? 
Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say like he was kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like, pro teams, if you're an athlete, if you're athletic and you can hit, pro teams will do almost anything to sign you coming out of high school. Uh, you know, athletes who can hit like Mitchell don't usually make it to college. Um, you know, in his case, I mean, I think UCLA does a really good job of, of recruiting and hanging on to their guys. And again, I, I don't know if the diabetes was a concern at all. And, and maybe the bonus offers weren't what he wanted. You know, that obviously didn't mean his asking price, but I think what he's getting with the bat now at the same time, I, I would think a guy who, you know, his hit, you know, he hit 350 last year as a sophomore. He, he has a, one of the higher contact rates among the top prospects in college baseball. He's got, you know, even if it's not big power, it's extra big home run power. It's extra base power. I mean, the guy did have 32 extra base hits and 18 steals and 62 games last year. I feel like the floor is pretty good with him too. Cause I, I feel like at worst, like I know this guy's going to hit for average. I know he can probably play up the middle and center field. And I know if he can't, he's got the arm for right field and he would be a really good right fielder on the corner. Um, so, you know, if he winds up being like a 280, 15 home run guy with that kind of, you know, defensive profile, that's still a pretty good player. So I, I think what JJ is saying, I, I, I get what he's saying there, and I agree with that. But I would also submit, I, I think there's a high floor with this guy too. Wow. Well, you were, you've sold me on Mitchell. Congratulations. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, I just don't know like what teams think of type 1 diabetes, how much that affects somebody's thinking. Right. When you're picking up there, but like I said, he, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. He, he's, he's handled it. He, he's been able to have success despite it to this point. But if, if that's not a concern to me, I really like Max Meyer too. But to me, I, I mean, I, I would take Garrett Mitchell if the diabetes isn't a concern. That would be a fairly easy pick for me as much as I like Max Meyer and Reed Detmers and Zach Fiend. Fair enough. Yeah, the jury is definitely out on that pick. There's a lot of different directions that uh, that Seattle could go. Um, let's let's shift a little bit to kind of the farm system in Seattle and kind of you know how over the last two or three years they've gone, you know, a full blow it up rebuild. Um, I want to talk about some of the different players that maybe aren't talked about quite as much. You know, the Kellenics and the Julios and uh, guys like that. They get a lot of publicity, but. Uh, one guy I wanted to pick your mind a little bit about is is Noelvi Marte. He's a, a, definitely a polarizing figure. He's a little bit like Mitchell in the fact that he's got tools across the board, um, yet to play in the States. But when you look at a player like that, kind of what are your thoughts on his potential, his future, and uh, just your general thoughts on Noelvi Marte? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously with him, the, the potential is huge. Um, you know, you know it, it's always tough, I think, to where to rank like the super young international guys who haven't played in the U.S. Because on one hand, you know, Marte's an example. I mean, he's got you know a really interesting package of tools. Um, you know, he put up great numbers in the DSL, which is, you know, I mean, it's great. You you want your guys to have success. The DSL is also kind of like you know one step above high school ball. <laughs> so it's not like you can't really read a lot into the stats. And at the and on the other hand, it, it's sometimes easy to fall in love with the super young guys. And but but not acknowledge well like they haven't had a chance to struggle in full season ball like other guys have so it's always kind of tough with guys like Marte who are really talented but haven't played a ton um, you know I think he's our top ranked Mariner who's not on our top 100 prospect list but um, no I mean his upside's huge I mean you could have a guy who you know looks like he's going to hit for a lot of power and make you know certainly enough contact to get to it right now he's a plus runner you know the question is. You know, where does he wind up defensively? You know, maybe, you know, if I had to guess. And, and like, I, you know, I mean, look, I've been wrong on this stuff, too. Like, it's easy to say, oh, he's going to outgrow a shortstop. And then you look, you know, Corey Seager's still at shortstop. And there's, you know, plenty of other examples of, of big guys staying at shortstop. You know, maybe he winds up at third base. Um, you know, maybe he winds up in the outfield. But I, I think the bat's, you know, really, really interesting. And, you know, it, if we don't have a season, we're not going to be updating our top 100 prospect list outside of putting drafted players on it. You know, we'll be a handful because nobody's playing games. But, like, I do think if we had a normal season and, you know, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I, I would say, like, roughly, you know, a quarter to a third of our preseason top 100 prospects graduate to the big leagues before the end of the season and we, you know, take them off the list as soon as they exceed the rookie standards – that in a normal year, Noelvi Marte probably would have been on our top 100 prospect list um, by the end of the season. But, 
as of now, uh, you know, they, they, I don't know what to say. I mean, we, it's unlikely he'll, he'll make it unless we have a minor league season because my guess is if we don't, you know, we'll add, you know, 10 or 12 guys from this year's draft and that'll be it. I don't know why we would change the order of our top 100 prospects list right now otherwise. No, there's only so much you can do without uh, getting any information on how these guys are progressing. So that makes sense. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply that's interesting that you think uh 10 to 12 guys from this year's draft might hit the top 100 list because I think last year it was like I mean you had mentioned it was a an incredibly weak class or weaker class and I, I think only six or seven of those guys ended up initially uh, breaking into that list so that that kind of speaks volumes well uh, volume I think exactly, it, might, it might it might have been a couple more but I would say the other thing to remember too is if we don't um, have anybody graduate that should make it harder for guys to make it too um, so uh yeah who knows i mean it might only be 10 you know <laughs> or it might be eight i don't i don't know because like I, I as soon as i said that i realized like yeah but nobody's graduating so it's not like i mean just looking at our top 100 prospects list right now if it were a normal year gavin lux would be off the list Luis robert would be off the list Mackenzie gore might be off the list joe adele might be off the list Casey Mize and, and Nate Pearson might be off the list. You know, I could go, Jesus Lazardo would be off the list. I could keep going on, and none of those guys are going to graduate right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an awfully weird time for prospects. I mean, this list is going to, I guess you could say the top 100 prospects is going to get more and more talented as the next, you know, 18 months goes by, but that's maybe not necessarily a good thing. It's by default. Hey, I wanted to rewind really quick, uh, just on the Julio and Kellenic uh, conversation argument is from from your point of view. Is there one that you prefer over the other? <sighs> I, I sigh just because it's like I, I really think it's a matter of taste. <laughs> I, I think you could make. Do you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream? Yeah, well, I would take chocolate over vanilla, but it's like, do I want That's like? True. I should have said something like <laughs> mint chocolate chip or, or something. Chocolate. That would be tougher. Yeah. But like, like with these two guys. Yeah, neither of them would be happy about me calling them vanilla. Scratch that. Scratch That's right. Like, that. like <laughs> I'm gonna tell Jared Kelnick you called him vanilla. But, uh, uh, oh my god! But, but, please don't. Don't but, do that. Uh, I can't. No, please I, God. I, I, I was just gonna say like. I mean, you know, I mean, almost any point you can make about one of them, you can make about the other. Like, I mean, well, Julio Rodriguez, I mean, unbelievable performance for a guy who's so young. Well, I mean, Kelnick's only a year older and he got up to double A. I mean, <laughs> I, I think the best way to look at this is, you know, I think Kellen, I, I think they both have high floors and high ceilings. I think Kelnick's got the higher floor. I think Julio's got the higher ceiling. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like Jared Kelnick a lot coming out of the draft. And, you know, and even that said, his power last year surprised me. I, I would not have thought he would come right into pro ball and hit 23 homers in 117 games and get to double A. Um, I love I, – I talked to him in the fall league, and I, I love his makeup. I mean, I, Julio was there too, obviously, and he looked good. You know, Kelnick only played briefly because he had the wisdom teeth, and I think it was like a strained back or something. They they took him out as a precaution. But I remember asking him, you know, just having a general conversation with him, you know, like, when do you want to be in the big leagues? And and he wants to be in the – you know, again, had it been normal. He wanted to be in the big leagues this year, which as much as I liked him, I would not have projected that coming out of high school. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you think you need to work on? You know, what do you need to do to get – you know, what do you need to do to get that opportunity? What needs to get better? And and he said this in a, in a – like – 
there, there was no cockiness to it. It was just matter of fact, because this is the way he thinks. He's like, well, I think my skills are good enough right now. What I'm going to have to be able to do is cope with adversity. Um, and he, and he like, I can't even convey, I wish I had it. I, I don't even think I saved the tape. He said this in such a, I mean, it wasn't, you know, like, hey, I'm Jared Kelnick. My skills are really good. <laughs> but it was more just like in his mind and like, and he might not be wrong either. was like, no, he, he thinks he could go up there and hold his own. It would just be, you know, when he struggles, because he will struggle as he adapts to the big leagues, like he's going to have to learn how to deal with that. And it was like, I, I was telling some of the Mariners front office guys about this. We're it's just like, I was like, geez, like if I, you know, didn't already, I mean, I, I liked him as a prospect. Saw him at the Under Armour game in Chicago. It was really interesting. I thought he was the best hitter in the high school class, the best pure hitter. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had a scout drop a a more athletic Mark Kotze comp on him in high school. Mm-hmm. And when I covered college baseball for Baseball America, Mark Kotze was my favorite player by none, <laughs> b- 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 by far. Just loved Mark Kotze. Speaking your love language. Yeah, and and so when the scouts said that, I just I literally just went ooh, like <laughs> I was like okay, like now like I'm really intrigued. And and, and I mean I get what the comp was because you know Kotze was probably more. He wasn't a blazer, but he played a long time in center field because, like, Kotze just had, like, he could really hit and he had really good instincts. I mean, I, I think Kelnick is probably a more athletic and more physically gifted version of Mark Kotze, and Kotze played a long time in the big leagues. And I think he's forgotten a little bit because he wasn't a power hitter during the steroid era, and, and so he, guys like him tend to get overshadowed. But anyway, it would be hard for, I mean, Kelnick, so anyway, when I heard that, that was a couple of years ago. I was just like, ah, like, like, okay, I'm, I'm all in on Jerry Kelnick. Like, like, more athletic Mark Kotze, okay. But so getting back to the question, like, you know, Julio Rodriguez could be a 40 home run guy by the time all is said and done, too. So I think it's just a matter, you know, if you ask somebody with the Mariners at, I'm sure they would give you some version of, well, we're glad we don't have to pick because we got them both. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of which you, you can make a case for either one. And in, in, in retrospect, I mean, there's good players between them. Like, we have them, I think, seven spots apart on the top 100, and probably, like, it would have been more poetic to put them back-to-back. Um, but I, I think they're both going to be really good. And so I, getting if I had to pick one, I would pick Kelnick, um, although I don't think I'll ever be able to co- overcome that bias uh, of hearing that scout say more athletic Mark Kotze. Like, like Julio would really have to blow Kelnick away for me to, like, switch off of that. that. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I was just like, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm all in. Like, give me Jerry Kelnick. Uh. <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah I, I think uh the industry's kind of split on whether or not he's 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 almost too serious he's he's too invested in um how good he could be that it might get in his way so him bringing up the fact that he's gonna run into adversity and that's on his mind uh that's i thought it was a self-awareness that you don't the, see very exactly. often yeah it's, it's great self-awareness yeah and it's like like i said like when he said that i was it's like like again, it was like when I heard I, I didn't I didn't visibly go ooh like but when he said that I was just like man like like how like I didn't think I could like this guy anymore and like but he was dead and he, and he wasn't like I like I said he wasn't trying to be cocky he was answering the question I asked just honestly like he didn't hesitate he's just like oh like you know I, I think my skills are ready right now I was like geez like you're 20 years old and like I told I've told Mariners front office officials about how you know how they just made me love him even more as a prospect and they're like no that's that's Jeremy he was mad last year that they would not let him play in the fall league. Like, I guess he got down there and he had to have his wisdom teeth out and he was mad about it. Like, cause they wouldn't let him play. And he's like, it's my <laughs> mouth. I don't use my mouth to play baseball. I could have played. And as it is, he got three games in. And then I, th- I think, like I said, it was a strain back and, and that shut him down. But, uh, nah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, it, it's hard not to love that guy. I would, my favorite Jared Kelnick is when he knew he was going to hit one out this spring training and in the interview afterwards, he said, you know, in the most humble way possible, I told them that if they give me a fastball, I'm hitting it out. I was like, well, he knows to put in the most humble way possible before what he's saying. But then what he's saying is that he basically called his shot like Babe Ruth. So um, he's, he, Andy McKay says that he's a six tool player and the sixth tool is confidence. And I think that that is 100% accurate. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, and like, I don't even think it's overconfidence, even. No, it's just. But you, I mean, to, to to do to succeed in baseball, I think you you know you have to believe in yourself, and like, like I said, I I'm all in on Jared Kelnick. I I would invest in Jared Kelnick's stock if that were a thing. So. <laughs> I'd invest in Julio Rodriguez's stock too, though. So. It's true. We really struggled on our top prospects list to place, and we we did a whole podcast about this. Where well, which way did you guys go? Was, 
Uh, well, we went with most most of us as a staff went with Kelnick just because for exactly the same reason. Like Julio, high ceiling. Kelnick has kind of done it, and um, if you look at his season last year, he when we talk about him facing adversity or coping with adversity, he really did a great job with it. Just level by level in the South Atlantic League, he was frustrated because he wasn't getting any balls to hit. And he had to really learn to just stand up there and take his walk until eventually they moved him to Modesto. And then he got confronted with the best breaking balls he'd ever seen. And then that was frustrating for him. And then he had some injuries that he had to go through. And then he went to AA and he was the youngest guy. And he had to, like, find a way to overcome sort of the adversity of being dropped into a really tightly knit team of guys who are all older than him who are on the precipice of being called up to the majors you know Evan White's there he's now signed a long-term deal and so he just got thrown like a lot of different stuff this last year and I was really impressed with how he responded to the adversity at every level I mean the great thing about the question is there's really no wrong answer which Mm. is kind of what makes trying to rank prospects and line them up a lot of fun and like I, I, I think it's really like a matter of taste you know if you want to go for the little higher ceiling I think you take Julio and I, I think if you want to go for the little higher floor you take Jared and once again I'll emphasize you know <laughs> Kelnick still has a really high ceiling and, and Rodriguez still has a really high floor too it, it's just it's just kind of a matter of taste I think and if you're a Mark Kotze man that's right you gotta take Jared Kelnick <laughs> yeah I think another guy that we should talk about because you had some you had some nice comments about Logan Gilbert as well on the top 100 reveal. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of a couple years from now we're going to be looking back and Logan Gilbert is going to be ranked way too low. Um, did you see his spring training starts and then kind of what are your thoughts I, I on Logan? I, I never, I, I never made it to Arizona. It's weird. I wound up doing. I was supposed to go to Mariners camp and uh, and do a Mariners report, which I did. But I at that point the coronavirus shut everything down, so mm-hmm. I I did that from home. And I actually interviewed Logan, who I was going to try to do a Q and A with in Peoria uh, over the phone too. But I, I, yeah, I think what my comment and it's weird because like we taped that show like in mid January, and that feels like that was about three years ago. It, it just seems like a totally different world, which I, I guess in right. some ways it was. But I think my comment, I, I think I was more in relationship to the draft, that he lasted 14 picks. And, you know, it was, it was weird because coming into that year in 2018, you know, he'd had a great Cape Cod League. And, I, you know, he had a chance to be, you know, the first pitcher, one of the first pitchers taken. And then his velocity was down. It's interesting because the story's supposed to be, like, like, okay, he got mono, and that's why his velocity was down. And Logan says, when I, t- when I interviewed him, that he really wasn't diagnosed with mono, and he didn't really feel like he was feeling the effects of it till later in the season. So he doesn't necessarily think that was it. But because his velocity was down for a lot of his junior season, and it did bounce back, that's why he lasted 14 picks. You know, I think if he threw like he had in the Cape League, Cod League all spring, there's no way he gets to the Mariners, you know, with that 14th pick at all. Um, and... You know, since he's gotten a pro ball, he's kept his stuff. I mean, you're talking about another guy who, you know, has advanced rapidly. He, he didn't play in 2018. They kept him out if they signed because he had pitched a lot in college in the mono. And, and so he makes his pro debut last year, and he dominates at three levels, and he gets to double A. And, I mean, this is a guy who I, I think could have been ready this year in a normal year had they wanted to promote him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's got, you know, really good fastball, slider, change-ups, got the curve, too. He stro- throws strikes. I mean, <laughs> this will seem simplistic, but, you know, I, I like my pitching prospects to have plus stuff and be able to throw strikes, which, <laughs> you know, like in a lot of cases, you know, you kind of get one or the other. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, and so I, I do think – He's a little underrated just because, I mean, you know, he didn't play in 2018 professionally and he was the 14th pick rather than, say, top five pick. Mm. But but I do think, you know, based on what we saw last year, that, you know, like five years from now or so, people will be wondering how did that guy last 14 picks in, in that draft. And, you know, the, the funny thing is not to not to dwell on Jared Kelnick, but we all know the Mariners love Jared Kelnick. And we're hoping for him at 14. Knew they probably weren't going to get him, and they and they didn't because the Mets took him and and then traded him. But I mean, pretty amazing that the guy they wanted was Jared Kelnick, who they they're then later able to trade for. And with Kelnick gone, it winds up they get Logan Gilbert at 14. I mean, that's that's some pretty good serendipity there, right there. That's yeah, that's quite a haul for that for that class, ending up with Kelnick and Gilbert, who might you know bolster the roster for the better part of a decade. Um, going a little bit deeper into this farm. 
is there anybody that's maybe outside the top eight or top 10, kind of those guys that are always talked about in top 100 circles that uh, you've got your eyes on in 2020 or, or I, whenever we I should say 20, maybe 2021? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I do think, I do think the, uh, the system's a little bit top heavy, um, but I do think the depth has, has increased. I mean, the guy who's right outside our top 10, uh, you know, left-handed Brandon Williamson was a second-round pick last year. And he kind of popped up on my radar two years ago, and he was at North Iowa Area Community College. And, you know, he's a guy who, who you know, I, I still think he, he's seeking consistency. I mean, he's a big guy who, who sometimes gets out of sync. But, like, he can show you three pretty good pitches and some strikes when he's on. I, I think he's he's a super interesting guy. Um, he'd be one. Um, I think Sam Carlson I really like coming out of high school, and, he had Tommy John and, you know, was going to get back on the mound this year. I, you know, I was kind of curious to see how he did. You know, kind of a name that, that, that jumped out to me is one of the best relievers. Sam Delaplane looked really good in the Arizona Fall League last year. Um, seemed like he has a chance to be in the big leagues pretty quick. I, I don't think he's going to necessarily, you know, be you – know, he's not Kellenic Rodriguez, you know, Gilbert type of ceiling, but I think he could be a really useful guy. And, and I actually – and it's not just because I'm a Georgia grad, but the, the number, 30th pick, number 30 player on our top 30, Tim Elliott, I, I thought he was the best number four starter in the country last year in college baseball. Wow. He was kind of midweek starter for the Bulldogs. Um, and he's got a good arm, and, and he can pitch. I mean, now he's more kind of that, I think, you know – Averages stuff, you know, average to solid, and, and he can, you know, he's more strikes than command. The control's better than command, but I, I think he's an interesting sleeper who was a fourth-round pick last year. Interesting. Any any thoughts on whether Tim Elliott could end up in the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, any of your pitching prospects who aren't your your top, top pitching prospects certainly could. I mean, you know, with a guy like him, you know, I mean, who has kind of average fastball velocity, that, that would help the fastball. Uh, velocity play up, um, you know, change ups his best pitch. So it's not like he's, you know, I, I, he might be one of those guys who is more effective as a starter just because I think his, his breaking stuff is, is the least part of his arsenal. So he's not going to just come in and dominate, you know, righties. And you don't often see a lot of righties come in to, to face a bunch of lefties in relief. But um, yeah, he might be that multi inning reliever. I, I, I could see that. Okay, so. Now, this is a bit of a fun one. You guys posted a, an article, uh, I think it was this week, uh, denoting some of the top shortstop prospects in the last 20 years and whether or not they had the chance to become the best shortstop in the history of their organization. So I kind of wanted to pose that question uh, surrounding the Mariners, but of course, let's say Noel V. Marte ends up at shortstop. He's not going to be Alex Rodriguez, so that's I mean, I think a hapless adventure. Yes. Yeah, Kalanick's not going to be junior, and Julio's not going to be Ichiro, but a good one to look into would be Cal Raleigh, who is maybe uh, the catcher of the future for, for the Mariners. Dan Wilson kind of owns the, the, the crown, if you will, in Seattle with 14 war behind the plate. It's what are your thoughts on Raleigh? It's not, it's not a deep list. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on Raleigh? Is he... Is, I'll be honest with you. Uh, c- circles in Seattle think that Cal Raleigh is not getting enough, you know, notoriety because of the monster power that he has. He's the, a switch the hitter. There's some questions right on here, defense. By the way, the, the circle is here. It's. Uh, I have yeah, to sit out yeah. this conversation because I am an irrational Cal Raleigh stand, so I have to <laughs> kind of button button up here for a little bit. So what? Jim, where do you fall on Cal Raleigh, and, and do you think he's got a chance to stay behind the plate for a number of years in Seattle? Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's gotten better. I think that was a question come, on him coming out of Florida State was, is this guy definitely going to be a long-term catcher? And I, I think he's made improvements behind the plate. Um, I don't know. I, I, like, I'm looking at our, our Mariners list, and we have a number eight, and I feel like he's appropriate, appropriately ranked. But, like, if the bar for Dan Wilson is – what are we talking? I mean, what like fourteen or fifteen WAR? Yeah, yeah, he yeah could just do that. fourteen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, which is weird because I think he was their starter for about eleven years, so yeah. it's not like yeah, a great average per. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the Baseball Reference year by year starters. Um, that's not a great average. Yeah, like, yeah I mean, he, he could. Um, I, I don't think he's a slam dunk, can't miss. But I, you know, he's one of those guys. I mean, there are many things that, that stink about you know you know. I, I, we may get a major league season, like I said before. I, I, I just don't feel confident we're going to have a minor league season. And there are a lot of things that stink about that. And, and Cal Raleigh was one of those guys that, like, okay, guy hit 29 home runs last year. I was really curious to see 
how's he do at higher levels? You know, let, let's see what happens this year. And, and you know, maybe, I don't know if he'd go back to double A a little bit, but, you know, let, let's see how he does. Because his numbers were a lot better in the Cal League than they were in double A. And now we, we might not find out at all. So we might have to wait till next year. Yeah, he really, he ran into a bit of a buzzsaw at double A. I think it's partially too, like, it was his first full year and just the wear and tear of being back there and all kind of the new things that he was learning and working on. Um, you know, they've changed his setup a little since college. He's a one knee down catcher now and uh, he just had a lot. No, there's a lot. I mean, I think all that's fair. And that's why, like, exactly why it's like, okay, let's see how he does this year. Um, and and it, we may not find out. We may it may have to be. So let's see how he does in 2021. I wanted to let's let's jump back really quick on on Logan Gilbert. I posed the question to you about Cal Raleigh exceeding uh, exceeding Dan Wilson. Logan Gilbert. I mean, I know this is totally hypothetical, but uh, Felix is a 50 WAR. Jamie Moyer sits at 34. Those are the top three, and in between is Freddie Garcia. What do you think Logan Gilbert's chances are of, of kind of getting on that Mount Rushmore of Mariners pitchers? Um, he'd be on the Mount Rushmore. I don't. I mean, fifty WAR is kind of a high hurdle to clear. Um, you oh know, yeah, again, I mean, sure. I mean, he's a pitcher. You know, things can obviously go wrong. You throw a um, couple perfect games, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think Mark Langston is at nineteen. I do think he's that talented, and yeah, it's it's funny because I would have thought that Mark Langston would be among those leaders. Um, I'm surprised, he, but I guess he was only there for five years before he got traded. Yeah, right? Langston, Langston is number four at, yeah. at 19, Warren. I would think, I mean, I'm not a prognosticator by any means, but I would think Logan has a pretty good shot of exceeding 19. I would say he's got a shot. I mean, the thing to remember is like in a typical typical draft, you might have 10 guys who exceed 20 war out of a typical draft. So, um, you know, because the thing is too, I guess looking at it, he could get traded, he could get hurt. You know, you, you don't know how it's going to play out. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think he, he definitely has the upside to be on that Mount Rushmore. Sure. Um, well, here, here's the last question that I've got involving involving the Mariners' barn. Uh, they've, they called up a lot of guys last year in the Sheffields and Justin Dunn, Kyle Lewis, and Evan White is coming, Jake Fraley a little bit. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Kyle Lewis? Because there's a bit of a... a divide here in Seattle as to whether or not he was a flash in the pan last September when he came in and hit six bombs in like 10 games. Do you think he's at the point in his professional career where it's kind of make or break, put him in Seattle and see how it goes? Or could he, could he use maybe a little bit more time in the minors? Did you get a chance to watch him at all? I did a little bit. You know, it's funny because I, I thought coming out of that draft, like I said at the time, I would, I would have taken him with the number one pick in that draft. I thought, I thought that was, a, I mean, not that there was a clear cut number one, but he would have been my number one. Um, you know, had the horrible knee injury almost right away after they, they stole him with the 11th pick. You know, it, it's, it's tough because if you look, I know Arkansas is supposed to be a tough place to hit. He didn't have a great year at Arkansas. I mean, he hit 260, struck out 152 times, and, and then he was really, really good in Seattle. So I, I don't think I would necessarily say, yeah, just sink or swim. Now, I do think he showed enough in September where if he came out and played well in spring training, not that the spring training stats should mean too much, that, you know, okay, you keep giving more playing time. But, like, if you'd also told me, hey, let's give him some time in AAA, I could see that. I, I'm just happy that he got through a fully healthy season because I just think he's been so star-crossed. Um, but he's a tough one because, again, I think you could look at it either way. You could look at the AA numbers and say, oh, he definitely needs more time. And you could look at the small 18-game sample size in Seattle and say, look, he hit big league pitching. Let's, let's see if he can keep going. Uh, we won't keep you for too much longer, Jim. Uh, I definitely appreciate your time. And uh, Kate, do you have anything that you'd like to wrap up with? Oh, just I'm so I'm really sad that we're not going to have the draft in Omaha this year. I think that that could have been a great opportunity. I'm really excited about some of the things that are happening, like the televising of the prep high school or the prep all-star game. Like, um, I'm. It took me a long time to get into prospects as. A baseball fan like it just seemed like a very difficult world to learn and so I so appreciate everything you do and Jonathan Mayo and everybody else at MLB at like turning baseball fans into prospect people so. oh well thanks for saying that it's very very nice you yeah it's like you saying all that I mean it's crazy but my schedule this summer is gonna be so much different you know like yeah. we usually late May we go to MLB Network to do our draft top 100 prospects show, which I, I guess we still could do theoretically at some point. Then it's off to Omaha for the draft. Then it was going to be off to Santa Clara for the, the PDP league. And then I think Los Angeles for the futures game. And then maybe the AAA all-star game in Scranton. And 
Like, I don't think any, I don't think any of that's going to happen, or, or very little of it. So we, we, we shall see. But it has been great talking to you guys. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we'll keep plugging away towards the draft and uh, keep following along at MLB.com for all of their latest prospect rankings and at Lookout Landing for our write-ups of intriguing draft prospects. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey!